Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Seat near you, or you got your Bible app open, we're going to track together that we're in the third week of our series uh, that we've named Retweet. And all the people who are the lovers of Twitter totally understand that concept that somebody else put something up on Twitter. They tweeted something, and then you liked it, or maybe had a comment about it, and then you retweet it. For those of you Facebook people, it's sharing it, okay? It's like sharing something, all right? And so you, you put it out there, and then you said, this is, this is something that I, I feel a personal connection with in some level, and it's somebody else's words that then you take in and you take ownership of them yourself. And we've been looking at this place where we see Jesus over and over and over again. Jesus, the word in flesh, God incarnate, quoting scripture. He, we see a bunch of our, you read your Bible, you read the words in red. He is quoting and making scripture all the time. He's just writing it as he speaks. But there are moments where he says something that was already written. He goes backward to already already written, and he is living that out as a model for you and I. He shows us what it really means to be human. We so many times, we think of, oh, human is the broken part of me. Oh, it's, it's okay, you know, to, to err is human, to forgive is divine. And we understand Jesus and his forgiveness and his sacrifice on the cross, and, and we tend to think that the humanity part of us is the brokenness. But really, God created us as human. He didn't create us messed up and broken. Us going our own way and sin enters in and brings that. And we need to take that definition of human as being broken and messed up and, and where all of our problems come from. Oh, I'm just human. And understand that Jesus taught, taught us what it looked like to actually be human. Jesus showed us this is what a human is supposed to do. A human is supposed to live in right relationship with God. A human is supposed to get his directions from, for life from God. God created humans in the garden to be in relationship with him, to, to rule and reign this planet. He gave dominion and authority to Adam and Eve there in the garden and says, go and take dominion, take the earth, subdue it. They, were, they had responsibilities from the very beginning. It's not, we don't have to work all the time simply because of the fall. It says, no, that work's going to be difficult because of the fall. But we can learn how to live in a different kind of, of life. But Jesus came to show us what, it's, what being human actually looks like, what it's supposed to look like. We're born in a broken version of it, but we're reborn into a into a restored version of it. We've got to learn how to operate that way. So Jesus, in utilizing the scripture, is showing us what it looks like to actually be human. This is what we do. We go to the, we'll see what the, God has to say on a subject matter, and we align our lives with that. In fact, <clears throat> we, this is our lead-off concept, that, that knowing that what God has to say on an issue is vital in making life-giving choices. It's vital. We have to know what God has to say on a subject or we're going to kind of wing it on our own. And I think we've all been on this planet long enough. Our winging it doesn't always work out too good. It ends up, we can end up in the ditch uh, real quick. And so Psalm 119, 105, this is our lead off scripture. 
um, says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. We talk about here about our discipleship model, which is asking on a regular basis two questions. Where am I and which way forward from here? We're all somewhere. The very first thing God says to fallen humanity, when all of a sudden brokenness has entered in, he asked Adam, where are you? Not because Adam didn't know where he was, but Adam needed to know where he was. And then Adam begins to say, hey, we're hiding. We were naked and afraid. We hid. And, and then, so we have to know where we are, but then we have to know which way forward from here. God has a forward for you. God has a forward for you. You're not in some place that there's just no way to be able to move forward from. So God's word is a light it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It, it shows us where we are and it shows us which way forward from here. They're like, this is where we go. This is where we need to turn. And sometimes we're doing this. We're facing over here, but the light's over here and we need to make an adjustment. Ah, this is the way I need to walk. No wonder things aren't working over here. There's no light over here. I need to walk in the light. I need to go this direction. So His, his word is that for us. It helps to understand what, where we're dealing with, where we are, and which way forward from here. And then to bring a more clarity to it, Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rebuilding on something. You are making decisions based on something. There's some sort of framework you are making your choices on, whether it's what you feel like is great in that moment, in that second, like toddlers do. They don't think about consequences. They're just whatever they want in that moment. Um, and some of us um, you know, are 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old toddlers, and we just keep making these decisions in the moment not thinking about the consequences, not thinking about that this should be leading somewhere. Um, and we deal with that. But that Jesus said that if we will hear his words and put them into practice, we're like a wise man who built his house on something that was solid. And so, but we got to hear them and put them into practice. There's not just enough to hear it and go, yeah, that's pretty good stuff there, Jesus. I'm down with that. And then not do anything about it. We have to, it's, it's built for you. See, God's word is to be put into practice. It's to be put into use. And if we will embrace that, that when we go to the scriptures, God is going to be leading and guiding us. We don't have a daily Bible reading simply as some sort of religious practice. Like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to be a good little Christian today. And I'm going to open up my verses and I'm going to read some stuff. And all right, check mark. I read it. Um, no, we should be opening it like, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, show me how to be able to do this. I'm right here. I need to go there. Holy Spirit, I need your word to be able to do it. And as we begin to go to God's word to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, it will revolutionize the way you interact with the word. And it's not dry and dusty and dull and old. All of a sudden, it is alive. And it begins to change things in your life. You've got to be ready to put it 
into practice. You know, there's some really pretty Bibles, you know. You need some really pretty ones you can have sitting on your shelf or on your coffee table. And, and, but what we need isn't a Bible that's pretty to look at. We need a Bible that's well-worn, that's well-marked up. If your Bible is, is too, has too much uh, importance to you to mark it up, well, then get a little case for it, put it aside, go buy one that you can mark up and mark that sucker up, okay? Use it, turn the little corners of it, be able to utilize that. It's not the physical book that makes that thing holy. It is the words that it helps us to understand that are holy. And so you, whatever is gonna help you to grab a hold of that and be able to understand it because we need to understand it's to be used. Um, years ago, my uh, um, mom decided to do her very first remodel project whenever I was growing up, and we, she redid the hall bathroom. And so redid the hall bathroom for any of y'all who can remember back in the day we had some, some country blue and some dusty rose and all those colors that were on trend at that moment. And, uh, and so she redid the bathroom, retiled, and did all this stuff, and then she had to do the finishing touches uh, on the bathroom. And so she, she had these towels that she had sewed on this lace stuff and these ribbons and these towels, you did not use those towels. They were on the towel bar beside the bathtub. Looked like you would be able to get out and you did not touch those towels. You did not use those towels. There were other towels to use. You don't touch the froofy towels that match everything. You do the old ratty towels that have been around for a while. You don't touch the, the pretty towels. And then we had these, some, these little dish of decorative soaps and it had these little soaps and they had been like conformed into these shapes. And so, but they were actual, it was actual soap. But if I remember right, they looked like seashells or something like that. So we had this little dish that had these little seashells and guess where they were sitting? On the sink next to the faucet to be able to wash your hands. But you did not touch those soaps. Use the other soap. Use that dial soap, man, I'm telling you. If you don't remember dial soap, you don't ever want to have your mouth washed out with dial soap. I don't know you want to know your preacher had his mouth washed out with soap, but he did. And that stuff, ugh, I can still taste that mess. And uh, But anyways, there's the little soaps that were the little soaps that were sitting there, and here's the problem. Everything that sits out gets dusty. So then you get dust on the soap. How do you clean the soap? Soap's supposed to clean you. How do you clean dirty soap? So then we get sent in to clean the bathroom, and we got to clean the soap, and you get it wet, and then it starts to get, turn into soap because it's soap. And then you get in trouble and your mom beat you. Not really. <laughs> she did not. I'm like, Mom, one day I'm going to need to do this, like, a lot. I'm practicing. Corona's coming. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to wash all the time. And so, but now we had these little soaps you couldn't use. And so many times, but the problem was, is because you weren't supposed to use them as kids, we didn't want to be anywhere near them. Like, don't even look at that soap. Like, I didn't even touch, I didn't touch it. If it got wet, it wasn't me, mom. And so you begin to distance it. If all of a sudden, if you either, 
if you're supposed to use it, it draws you in. You, ha- you have a living connection with it. You have a reason to make a connection with it. If you, it's not supposed to be touched, you want to distance yourself from it. If we will realize that God's word is to be used and brought in our practice, we'll naturally want to come be connected with it. We'll naturally want to be a part of it. If we feel like it's not, well, we'll find ourselves wandering further and further and further away, desiring less and less and less interaction with God's word. It is to be used. Jesus says, in fact, we're supposed to build our lives on it. we got to hear his word and put it into practice. And that is what building a life on the rock looks like. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. See, there are times where you and I, we, the, the best deception we, you and I practice is self-deception. And there are times where we feel like that we're on the right track, we're doing things with the right motives, but when we get real honest with ourselves and we let God's word speak, we begin to see that maybe things aren't quite right. And it takes the word of God to come in there. It begins to reveal the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So here is this word of God that's like a sword. Now this sword isn't to be used on everybody else. You don't know anybody else's thoughts and attitudes of their heart. You don't know. You can see external actions, but you don't know. You, the only one you have access to of thoughts and attitudes of the heart is you. You're the only one you have access to the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the word of God is, and that sword is to be allowed to be at work in your life, saying here is what is life-giving and here is what is not. If you are not regularly going to the scriptures and saying, God, help me to understand. I want to choose life on a regular basis. Lord, use your word to show me what, it, what I should be walking in, what I shouldn't be walking in. Man, I tell you what, all we will do is go find scriptures that align with what we, we have chosen. And that makes us Lord, not him. But if we go to his scripture and say, Lord, you decide the thoughts and attitudes of my heart, that's when we begin to see real growth and change. Ephesians 6, 17 says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If you wondered what this sword was, it's the word. It's the word of God. Now, the reason we're given this sword isn't so that we can obviously go and attack everybody else. It's been, Christians have used this sword of the, of the word of God um, in a hurtful way, attacking other people uh, entirely too much. But what it's supposed to be used in an attack way is against the enemy. And we have been looking at Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus is tempted and we, and we see how this unfolds. And Pastor Steve did a good job of that. And I said from the, uh, week one, we're going to be spending a lot of time in Matthew 4 and we're going to spend some more time in Matthew 4 today. But the reason that we have a sword is because there's going to be an attack. It's going to happen. The enemy's going to come at you. He doesn't want you having a life-giving relationship with God. He doesn't want you to be able to move forward and walk free and to grow. He doesn't. So he's going to come in and and going to tempt because he can't force you to do anything. We're free moral agents. We are able, we're choosers. So he wants you to make choices 
that are destructive to you and the people that God's put in your path. And that's what he wants you to do. And so we have to have this sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to be able to deal when the attacks come. Now, let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert. There the devil tempted him. After 40 days and 40 nights of going without eating, Jesus was hungry. He was legit hungry. That Sunday morning, hush up, preacher, I need some lunch, hungry. He was hungry. And so he was, his stomach was growling. He'd gone a long time without food. His body truly needed nourishment. He was hungry. And the tempter came to him in that vulnerable moment. There it was in that vulnerable moment. He had been having some, some sweet time with a fellowship with the Spirit. He was just being able to live and being connected with, with, with God. And then at that place where his body began to desperately need some nourishment, that is when the tempter shows up. And the tempter came to him, the enemy, Satan, came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. More than I need food, and Jesus needed food. More than that, I need what comes out of the mouth of God. We said it week one, we're gonna say it all the time. Your number one need in life is to know what God has to say. That is your number one need. No need surpasses that. As soon as you begin to pursue a need in your life, maybe a legitimate need, like Jesus legitimately needed food, as soon as you begin to pursue that over what God has to say, I'm telling you, you are set up for destruction. You are. We have to understand no matter how big of a need we have in our life, and Jesus had a big need for a meal, his need for what God has to say was more important and he understood that and he spoke that and he quoted the words. He didn't even make it up on his own. He went back and said, what God has to say, I understand that what God has to say is so important, I'm gonna quote what God has already said. And if, because if he's already spoken, guess what? He will speak freshly again. So there's some things that I want us to take away from this encounter. And one of the first things I want us to take away from this encounter that Jesus had there with, with temptation was that just because you're tempted, um, it doesn't mean that you're not following the Holy Spirit. For those of us who, for those who are maybe newer to this and maybe are, are less mature in their walk with God, you can, this can be a real point of tripping up for you because all of a sudden things are rocking and rolling and you begin to be tempted to make a decision you know is not life-giving, you know it doesn't honor God, isn't gonna be productive for you and your family and people you care about. And then all of a sudden this temptation, and the temptation it isn't necessarily this little fleeting thought. No, sometimes it is this thing that comes in and grabs a hold of you and begins to be this strong thing that plays on your desires, your needs, maybe even some, a physical deficiency, and begins to play on that thing, and that we can begin to think that, well, if I was more spiritual, then uh, if I was doing better, then, man, I wouldn't be tempted. I wouldn't be tempted. Uh, if Jesus got tempted, I think you and I are going to get tempted. But just because you're tempted, that's not the sin. Jesus never sinned in this. So, you know what? 
give yourself a break here. Just because some random thought enters your head, just because something comes in here, into your head, and something begins to be triggered in you, don't mean that all of a sudden you've gone off the rails and you don't have a right relationship with God and everything is messed up. No, it is the enemy trying to get you to that place. You're not there just because you're tempted. You need to understand that, that Jesus was tempted. And just because that doesn't mean you're doing things wrong or things are off the rails at all. Jesus was led by the Spirit into that place. He was where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to be doing, and the tempter came in. There are times we can be where we're supposed to be, on track in life, and the tempter still show up. I've shared this story with you all before that this is my uh, kind of low moment as an older brother. Um, and so we had, right at the beginning of my senior year in high school, my parents moved into a, a different house uh, there in Odessa, uh, the house my children know is Poppers and Shishi's house in Odessa. And, uh, but it's a new house to us. And my youngest sister, Heather, um, was, uh, um, had just got a, a bedroom that was the furthest in the house. It was back in the back corner of the house. It's a new home, hadn't been there very long. And in that, she got some new furniture and got a new antique bed that sat real high up off the ground, high enough for me as a senior in high school to be able to get under the bed. And so I had... And uh, my mom's all decorative and stuff, so my sister had the dust ruffle that went down to the floor. And um, so I watched. I knew my sister's routine. I got up under the bed one afternoon and waited for her to go in there to do her homework. So sure enough, I lay under the bed, and she comes into the, to the room, uh, shuts the door, gets up on her bed with, to start her homework, and I just lay there for a little while to let her get good and comfortable that she's in the room by herself. And so, but the dog had come in with her and the, the dog knew I was under the bed. So I was like, this is, gonna, this is gonna mess everything up. It actually played out really well. And so I just let her sit there on the bed and then I, as she was real comfortable, man, I just started pushing up on the bottom of the bed push up, and I could hear her scratching away, and, and it, she'd just get real still, and I'd quit. And then she'd sit there and try to figure things out, and then she'd go back to doing her schoolwork and sitting there doing stuff, and I'd wait a little bit, and then I'd start pushing on the bed, just enough for her to stop, start to look around. So I did this about three times and just kind of just bare. She, she was trying to decide, am I feeling something, am I not feeling something? And so finally, all of a sudden, I did it, and I push up on the bed, and she stops, and I just keep pushing to where she starts to come up on the bed, and she knows something is not right. And so she's on all fours on the bed trying to figure out what's going on. She is not getting off that bed. She is looking over. She's on all fours. And so I had snuck over to the side and stuck my head out from under the bed, but it was covered by the dust ruffle. So she could not see my face, but I was sticking out. Well, the dog had stuck his head right next to my head, and his body was visible out from under the dust ruffle. And so which was just enough for my sister to get just enough little peace. And she goes, oh, bogey, it's just you. And she pulls that dust ruffle back, and I go, ah! <laughs> and screamed at her as she saw my face. 
And my sister, who is as athletic as me, which is not, uh, um, does a back roll off the bed. It's in such a panic, she smacks into the closed door, grabs the door, throws it open, and runs into the living room to my parents, and she is just shaking. I am laughing so hard, I can't get out from under the bed. I can't, my chest is just expanding. I can't get out from under the bed. I'm finally able to calm myself where I can get out from under the bed. And I go into the living room and my dad is just sitting there talking to her. And he, I walk in, he's like, what did you do? And I'm just laughing. I was like, I was under the bed. I was scared. It was amazing. And, uh, and, and uh, my dad did not think that was amazing. And, uh, and so, and sadly, my, my sister, um, Man, I really had to repent because there was a place where a real spirit of fear began to come in and she was just jumping and afraid. I mean, I, 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 unwittingly, I had really jacked with her sense of peace and safety um, on that. And we had to really pray over her. And there was a real place where there was a, a spirit of fear had really come in. And, um, and just on a side note, uh, folks, we need to make sure that in the middle of, we're dealing with all of these uncertainties and unknowns with all this. Um, there's a place of, of seeing the word says wisdom sees things far off, problems far off, and makes wise decisions to deal with it. But then there's a place where there's, things can cross over, and it's not just being wise. There's a place where a spirit of fear can, can begin to come in. And we are so wound up in fear, we can't even think straight. And there are things that all of a sudden, and I'm telling you, my, my sister began to operate in spirit of fear, and you could be looking right at her and just goose her, and she would literally... It would just freak her out. She saw it coming, and it genuinely scared her. I scared her so bad. It, it, I felt, felt horrible, it, and it took her years to be able to deal with that. But the, with that, Heather was where she was supposed to be. She was there on her bed doing her homework, doing what she was supposed to be doing. And her jerk brother showed up and thought, nah, what an opportune time to begin to mess. She wasn't in the wrong spot doing the wrong thing. She was right where she's supposed to be doing it. It was after school, doing her homework. She was doing it in her bedroom, her place. And her jerk brother stepped in and, and began to mess with her. As you are walking in life, you'll be in the right place, doing the right thing. And the enemy attack. And then begin to come in and tempt and come off. And then all of a sudden, a lot of times we can go, what did I do wrong? How did I end up in this place? Am I off, am I off pace? Am I, am I doing something I shouldn't be doing? And it, the answer is no. Jesus was led by the Spirit into that place, and the enemy met him there. Don't you dare think as you're walking with God that, just, that all of a sudden that this walk with God means that your life is not going to have any attacks. The enemy hates your guts. He's going to attack you. But we're not defenseless. We have the sword of the Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have the completed work of Jesus. And we don't just sit back and let things roll at us. No, we move, we speak, we, we use God's Word in an aggressive way. That is what we have been given. James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. And 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Sadly, that afternoon, I was the one seeking someone to devour. I was seeking to mess with my sister. But the enemy 
does that, looking for an opportune place, tried to capitalize on Jesus' significant need for food, tried to capitalize on the significant need for food, and Jesus stayed the course. He showed us how to really be human, how to deal with We tend to think that just because there's a need and there's a tempting, well, yeah, I was hungry, sure. I, I, turn, I turned the rocks into bread, Dad. I'm sorry, I was hungry. No, our greatest need is, is to stay connected with God and what he has to say. Another thing we see out of this, another, our takeaway is Jesus' humanity. Matthew 4, 2 says, after 40 days and 40 nights of going without eating, Jesus was hungry. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to deal with all the temptations. And I'm not making that up. John 1, 14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He gets it. The places you've been tempted, he gets it. Why? Because we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. You mean Jesus was tempted to look lustfully on a woman? Yes, but he handled it in a life-giving way. He did not go down that path. Jesus was tempted to steal? Yes, the scriptures say he was tempted in every way. He was tempted to try to meet his needs. That's the whole temptation of stealing. It's you have some desire in your life and you decide to, you're gonna take it in your own hands and you're gonna try to meet it yourself. And that is what the enemy wants us to do. The enemy wants you to doubt your relationship with God. He wants you to doubt your relationship with God. Over and over again, the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, he was the son of God. He knew he was the son of God. He stated it when he was 12 years old and his parents couldn't find him. His mom and his dad, his, his, his stepdad, guess what? Jesus had a stepdad. He knows what it's like to deal with stepparent. He knows what it's like, what a blended family is like. Jesus understands our stuff. We tend to think of Jesus and his life being, being this real sterile thing. No, Jesus understands our stuff and is able to be a compassionate, caring Lord in our lives, leading and guiding and helping us to live the way God has called us to live. But he was the son of God. He was the son of God. And there are places where the enemy will want to challenge whether or not you're in right relationship with God, which is why Romans 8, 16 says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. If you'll quiet yourself down and you get along with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will mind you. You're mine. You're mine. You're my kid. That we are the children of God. Another takeaway we want is, we've already hit on it a little bit, that the enemy wants you to handle things on your own, to trust in yourself. Man, that is our pull constantly, which is why at Celebration Church, we talk about know God better and trust him more. Why? Because the, the pull is to trust in ourselves. It's to trust that we can handle it. If we can, get a, if we can listen to one more podcast, we can read one more book, we can do one more tutorial on YouTube, we can figure this thing out, and we can handle this thing. And it's not the truth. We desperately need 
the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Matthew 4, 3, it says, tempter came to him. And he says, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Just handle it on your own. You're hungry, here's some stones, turn them to bread. Do it. And guess what? He was God. He spoke the stones into existence. The word became flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. And he spoke it into existence. He could have, but he knew that there was another way, that his desperate need was every word that came from the mouth of God. John 5, 19 says, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. You son, he's just gonna do what he sees the dad doing. That's what he's gonna do. Guess what? He's modeling that for us. That's what it means to be human. We look to God, our creator, and we connect with him and we model what he does. Acts 14, 17. And here is a place where it is being quoted from Psalm 65, that he provides you with plenty of food and he fills your heart with joy. Jesus knew this. He knew he wasn't going to go hungry forever so he can continue to rest. And the fact that, yes, his body desperately needs it, but I don't have to force it on my own because I have a promise that he provides us with plenty of food. And guess what? It takes place. Jesus answered, it is written, man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in verse 11, it says, and the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. Would him turning stones into bread be a miraculous display uh, of, of power? Yeah. But guess what? That the provision was still going to be miraculous. But it was different. It was angels came and attended to him. And I don't know any of you have ever had angels serve you a meal. I haven't. Um, that's pretty miraculous. It's pretty amazing. And guess what? God had a miraculous end but it was one that God was bringing about and Jesus just had to rest and let the Father do what the Father was gonna do. Be able to meet the need, knowing that the need was going to be met, that there was a promise of that. And you and I, we walk this out. We lean on the promises fulfilled. So as we wrap this up this morning, I I, I wanna remind us, folks, you're building your life on something. You're building it on something. It's either your own abilities or, or your own life experience and trying to figure things out. or, you're, or you're, We need to be building it on God's word by hearing his word and putting it into practice. See, our bottom line today is God's word is the only sure foundation. It's the only one. Everything else, as Jesus tells the rest of that story, everything else is sinking sand. You can build a house on it, but everything else, it's just sinking sand. Folks, God loves us, and he has given us his word so I know that he cares and choose life. Choose life. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.